I think people are far more aware now of, of mm-hmm. date codes, how to read them, where yeah. to look for them, and uh, I guess a better appreciation of, um, you know, that, that in most cases, fresh is best. Mm-hmm. And which is exactly why we split Beers a Conversation from Brews News Week, because some things need to be fresh and some things stay evergreen with age. <laughs> Three hundred. Oh my god! Three hundred. There you go. Oof. Man, am I tired? And on my tonsils sore. I'm a bit green cracked. <laughs> Let's do this thing. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week, the podcast that takes a good hard look at the news, the views and the issues happening in, around, on top of, beneath and in the gooey centre that is this wonderful world of beer uh, that gives us all so much joy. Speaking of joy, as we approach Christmas in what has been, well, to be perfectly Francis, uh, a bit of a shit show of a year uh, by any reasonable measure, it is a pleasure to rummage around beneath the Christmas tree and unwrap the pleasant surprise that is Matt Kierkegaard and the shiny bauble of journalistically good tidings of comfort and joy that is Claire Burnett. G'day, Matt. G'day, Claire. G'day, Pete. Hey, Pete. I thought I'd make it festive. (laughs) You certainly (laughs) did. beautiful. That was lovely. I couldn't work out where you were going with it. I thought it might have been a Rallings ad somehow, but... (laughs) You, know, you were ready with the button, weren't you? You were ready to go, Joe, you know what to do. But <laughs> all good, good tidings of comfort and joy, literally, figuratively and metaphorically. But in, and, in, in, in terms of keeping with the season as well, I was sort of wondering whether you might not have changed that opening line with over 25 years in the field um, to with under 300 podcasts under its sponsorship belt. Cry <laughs> Malt um, are dedicated to bringing you the finest podcast. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, but it's, it's probably... It's probably 298, not 300, because in that first year, because they came on in the second year, and so we probably did two podcasts in our first year that, that actually got to air. Yeah. Is the, yeah. Are they? Can I dig around and find these podcasts? Are they I, still I actually available think there might be somewhere? a folder that's got some yeah unedited ones, so we might... I'm going to dig them out, yeah. That's happening. Okay. Anyway, on with the it's show. It's fair to say that, um, uh, like Jesus, Mary and Joseph on that trip from Bethlehem, uh, we've come a long way since that first episode. <laughs> And but it's not three wise pe- personages. We're, we're, <laughs> no. we're still none the wiser, as I constantly <laughs> learn. In the spirit of Christmas, um, my little sister has started listening to the podcast, and she said, Ooh. "You've got to give me a shout out." What's your little so, sister's name? Georgie. Hey, love you. I'll miss you this Morning, Christmas. Morning, Dr. Georgie. Dr. Georgie, yes, everyone. She is a, Dr. Georgie. Yeah, she's, well, she's not yet. She'll be next year. Oh, okay. Claire is very proud of you. I am extremely proud, yeah. Hi, George. Thank you. G'day, Mom. Georgie. <laughs> what does Georgie sound like? She, she sounds much like me. Like a smaller version of you? Yes, yeah. a smaller version, yeah. <laughs> or a younger slightly, version. Uh, yeah, slightly more piping, actually. She's very high-pitched. Pi- piping? <laughs> piping, yeah. Imagine piping, yeah. Okay. We take the mick out of her for it. She sings a good Christmas carol, though. <laughs> well, but what, now, now I'm imagining a very chipmunk Christmas. Absolutely like that, okay, yeah. Right. I have to send you a link to uh, my favourite, which is um, an Aussie Christmas with Bucko and Champs. Um, I think you, you need you need to embrace your Australian heritage. I think I do, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just preempting for next week. So next Wednesday, so it's a, a short week, only six days between podcasts. Um, we're going to be doing our last one, our special Christmas edition or end of year Correct. wrap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out... To you two, because I want you guys uh, and Jimmy, if he's listening. Uh, if I don't know, he's you know he's a bit too good for us now. But um, <laughs> four things, so four topics that I want you guys to come up with uh, one of each for next week. Okay, mm-hmm. so the best thing to come out of twenty twenty, because at the end of that, as I intimated in my uh, intro, a bit of a shit show of a year by any reasonable measure. Yep. Um, but what w- there must be something that we can each come up with uh, on a positive note. Uh, the best beer. Uh, like business pivot that you hope will that's, that's come about as a result of of, of uh, lockdowns and everything this year that we, you hope will continue. The least best beer trend because we don't do the worst, do we? We don't do oh, what's the worst thing, but what's the least best beer trend of twenty twenty? And the one thing <laughs> what, that what's you the participation hope... award <laughs> of twenty twenty? <laughs> and the one thing that you hope disappears with twenty twenty. 
So as a, as a as the clock ticks over, <laughs> oh sorry, you're what's one the of one them. thing you hope we just <laughs> next we just, week we just don't see again. So sure. this is that's to for you guys to think about, and for our listeners, so you can uh, either uh, bring it in, type it in during the the chat, or send us a message beforehand and that sort of thing. But I want to get a, a bit of a, an idea of the best thing to come out of 2020, the best beer business pivot that you hope will continue, the least best beer trend of 2020. And the one thing you hope disappears with 2020. So there's two beer-related ones, and the other two can be just lessons we've learned. Um, it can be it, it can be beer-related, obviously, but just mm. you know, okay. to give you two beer ones, two general ones. And and again, like keep an eye on the um, Facebook group, listeners. Um, if you want to join us, we're still trying to resolve exactly where we're going to do it um, and and how. But uh, it'll, it'll probably be through the MixLR um, stream where we've got the chat room. Yep. But so we, similar to what we did with the the antidote, so people can yeah, look yeah. the MixLR. They've, they've got the chat room there. They've got the live listen. Most probably be MixLR. It will be absolutely posted to the Brews News page and also to the uh, Facebook group, and we will have phone-ins. And hopefully Jimmy will be able to... Now, uh, before we get underway with the news, we must mention that uh, the IBD, the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, their virtual convention is up and running. It's Thunderbirds Argo and the early bird tickets are now available. So this is the 36th biennial convention. Uh, it's a virtual platform on the 23rd and the 24th of Feb next year, 2021. There'll be live technical sessions from all around the world, but over 40, um, all with live Q&A opportunities. So it's just going to be like being there, except you don't have to wear pants and I suppose you can have a beer <laughs> while you're doing it and you don't need to like uh, get up and walk from one you know, room to the next. Uh, there'll be on-demand technical presentations and supply innovation workshops. There'll be a virtual exhibition hall uh, with over 30 booths, including capabilities to chat one-on-one, uh, exclusive networking opportunities with experts in the field. Uh, go to ibdconvention2021.vfairs.com and we'll put a link in the show, show notes, notes for of more information and you can get your early bird tickets now. So that, that's good that that's um, uh, up and running. There we go. Do you or Claire or any of our listeners... Uh, have the ability to scrape together, I don't know, a lazy hundred mil. <laughs> no, but I, I managed to scrape together a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you did that, you'd buy a couple, you'd buy four slabs of brew, wouldn't you? Um, no, well, no, you'd only get three. To be fair, and a bit, <laughs> and uh, but you get a stubby holder and a bar mat. Um, no, they're more expensive than the beer, aren't they? And mate, well, we'll, we'll come to brew because uh, yeah. Yeah, our, you know, get your Shane, bingo cards ready, guys. Shane Jacobson um, has been plugging them on uh, Facebook. Oh. Yes, I got a message. I got a, I got a private message uh, vis-a-vis that one. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but BrewDog launches a $10 million Australian equity raise 12 months after opening its uh, first Australian brewery up there in Brisbane. I don't know if you've uh, heard of it, Matt. It's quite good. Uh, <laughs> Scotland-based international craft beer business BrewDog has launched an Australian equity crowdfunding raise. The campaign, which seeks to raise up to $10 million for 10% of the business, uh, which values the operation in Australia at $100 million. Discuss. Oof. We knew it was always going to happen. Um, we just didn't know when. they were going to do a crowd fund. Yeah, because I think, um, God, I, I think we found, I was sent a link, you know, even before they'd opened the brewery to it. So we always knew it was on the cards, but now's, now's mm. the, the, the time. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, mate, these sorts of stories are a little bit hard to write about because on one hand, you look at the, Valuations of say, how did they come up with that? Because you know, as I showed in the the, the show notes, you know, their profit is, you know, sorry, their turnover of Brewdog globally is a third more than Cooper's, um, and yet the business is valued at you know one point eight seven billion pounds, which is you know three something million billion dollars, um, and yet Cooper's um, is only valued at three hundred twenty eight million. So, you know. On one hand, you go, well, how did, how did they come up with this valuation for their um, investors yeah. internationally? And I'm then- definitely going to look into that. How on earth do you value a business like that? And I know they'll put a lot of equity in the brand and say the brand is worth that much, but that in itself is such a nebulous concept. But the, well, one of the reasons in the, again, I, I don't know if it's in the show notes, but we talked about the corporate transparency, um, the tax transparency, and you know, Lion wrote down half a billion dollars worth of Brand equity, or you know, mm-hmm. business in their dairy value, business, in their yeah. dairy business, um, and managed to, trying to get rid of <laughs> claim a massive tax write-off oh, um, based on on that loss. Um, so you know, what what is a, a brand worth? Um, you know, when you when you look at it, and it's ultimately what people are willing to pay. But excuse my gross business ignorance in all of these things. But 
do you just make up a number or do you do you, does the shareholders <laughs> of the board come up with a number or is there do you have to use the you know the um that thing you better, you better, you better, you better. Well, it, 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 it's multiple. <laughs> like you, there, there are all sorts of different ways yeah. that you can do. And it. you get like but, but business valuations. Just, just for our listeners and for my benefit, do oh, you God. do you just say, well, we've you know this is what it's the... revenue. Like it's it's multiples mm. of revenue. Um, is is one. So there's way. a formula. There, there, well, mm. there, well, but there's a but it's not like a formula is in. It's not an agreed upon formula. E equals formula. mc yeah, squared. Yeah, yeah. Where if you do right. that, you can chart the trajectory of the planets because it is hard and fast. So it's like it's like um the projections. Or the, yeah. uh, you know, the, it's what anybody the would pay for you. <laughs> well, it should, it should like but, but it's not even what anybody correct. would pay for you because what, you, you look yeah, at Coopers. Yeah. I mean, Coopers 15 years ago when they were making about 50 million litres of beer um, was valued by line in their takeover as, you know, sorry, I don't have the figures on me. I'm not planning but it was to go about down. five times what Coopers thought they were worth. Well, it was, oh, uh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing because they'd had the business valued by their internal consultants because. Because it's a privately held company that's not listed on the stock exchange, they give um, shareholders who have inherited these shareholdings the ability to sell back and you know make it a semi-liquid investment. So from time to time, Coopers will buy back the shares, um, and so they had to come up with a value for it. And when they lasted that, it was significantly less. You know, before the takeover, it was significantly less than um, Lion. I think Lion valued it at two hundred ninety dollars a share, which valued the company. Um, and then they upgrade up to about three twenty-five dollars a share from memory, mm-hmm. um, and that valued the company about four hundred eighty million. And that was fifteen years ago. Coopers has now gone through the process, um, and there was a story in the that I linked to in the Brewdog um, thing where. Coopers valued it itself um, as a buyback, and it was about three hundred eighty million. So technically, that they value themselves as less than Lion did. But then, for a business of Lion, where it's a bolt, where it's a hundred percent ownership of a business that they bolt on, and they felt that they could scale very rapidly through their distribution, the business is worth more to them than it is to, to the brewery itself. Was I believe what the argument was, yeah. but. You know, I mean, brew. I mean, mm-hmm. at one stage, the share market listed, you know, valued brew at over $120 million. When I looked at it this morning, it's valued <laughs> at $15 million, mm-hmm. um, which even then, you know, with, a billion, with a billion <laughs> shares on offer. Um, so, yeah, look, it made it, uh, th- th- there's no hard and fast yeah. rule. It's basically what somebody thinks it's worth, which is how the stock market works. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but I mean... It's th- a black art for sure. The, 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 the uh, interesting look, thing we, about... We had some really good feedback and some good... Uh, I thought really interesting comments, um, and I think you sort of replied, Matt, sort of saying, you know, if you, or so, no, somebody mentioned, you know, well, rather than saying it's you, you're getting a An shareholder, stake, yeah, you, you, you're like it's like a membership, like consider it to be a, you know, um, and I think you you likened it to, you know, engage a way to, a great way to engage with the brand, but not necessarily a you know a, a good investment in terms Matt, of. And it's like having a bet at the races. The races are much more interesting when you've got a punt on when than you if you're exactly. just sort of standing there. But when you've literally got a dog yeah. in the race, you're far more interested in the in the running yeah. of the race. But the problem is, and 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 I think that's what it is. But I get the feeling, you know, or sorry, in in the Australian one, which is a little bit different, but internationally, it has always been sold as an investment, where they talk about the value of the company and you're a share of this, and, and what you're going to get back, and what you're going to get back, mm-hmm. and you know this started, you know, twelve, thirteen years ago in Ellen, and then private equity came in and valued it a billion dollars and now it's you know and all of which has that promise that the shares that you buy at some stage are going to be worth a lot more um and you know i'm not a i'm a beer i'm a guy who drinks beer and writes about it so that's not my area of experience but i can't see any world in which if you are valuing brewdog currently at 100 million dollars in Australia, that you're going to get a return on that investment, which makes it then well. Look, if you love the brand and you love their, you know, their their mission to be greener and all of these things that they're talking about, um, and you want to be part of it, and if you buy a lot of Brewdog beers and you want a five percent discount and you want to go to the, uh, they, I don't think they call it an annual general mayhem here. They just call it the AGM. <laughs> if you like that, then it's a great way to be part of that club. Um, but that's where like they're not quite selling it. As that, because they do give you equity with the promise that you know. Or um, well, actually, sorry, I know I'm jumping all over because there was just so much in it. I, I watched the video where Martin and James um, sort of talked about it, and there was, I think, it was Martin at one stage said, um, 
you know, this is a great chance for you to have a voice in the running of BrewDog. And I'm going, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> the, the prospectus actually says mm-hmm. that you do not get a vote. Like these are non-voting shares. So you get an equity share, but you have no, you know, you, you presumably you've got no greater share, um, no, no greater voice in the company than anybody else who, you know, owns shares or doesn't own shares because BrewDog will respond to the market as equally as they'll respond to its own shareholders because you can't Well, technically, vote. if you've got shares, you are the market, so... Well, yeah, well, you're the market, wrong. but, but you, if you can't vote, then you don't have a voice. My favourite bit of that was um, the prospectus notes BrewDog's policy is not to pay dividends. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of business... Not, not every business... Uh, yeah, and, and that was something um, that they... Because... There was a whole lot of very fine print at the start, and then they mm. get to the, this the is what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the fun bit. And so, but a lot of businesses don't pay a, a dividend, um, and BrewDog would, I no, imagine, would argue. usually if they crowdfund, the whole point is to get something back, as you well, just said. Well, you get said. 5% discount, so like you get a dividend. So it's a reward <laughs> yeah, if, if you're willing to pay, you kind of get a dividend in, in what you save for what you spend oh, kind of thing. Uh, but it's a... Look, well, I, I get that dividend then in that case when I uh, shop from the bargain bin at Uncle Dan's. <laughs> exactly. There it's you always, go. It's Although, BrewDog, yeah. So, but look, if you love the brand and you you, you want to get in, um, great opportunity to, to back What's something. What's it out now? The, actually, the, the, the only other thing that's really stuck out to me about it was, you know, BrewDog, as we've said on the podcast before, has really moderated its sort of over-the-top language. Punk image. Um, oh, well, it's punk, but also <laughs> some of it's over-the-top. But, you know, three or four months ago, they announced that they were um, going carbon negative. Um, and so on that statement of intent, they're now proclaiming themselves as the world's only carbon-negative brewery. And I'm going, well, are you there yet? Like... You, you, you've bought the land and planned to plant these trees, which is what will make you carbon negative. I don't know if they've planted a tree yet. I say, take a while, don't they, trees? Well, and, and then it takes a couple <laughs> of years for them to grow. And, you know, so I, I don't think at the moment they are carbon negative. Well, again, that's it's projections. Well, I'll just give an update just to, to give you an idea. Now, um, Behemoth Brewing went live with a, an equity crowdfund valuing it at a much more modest uh, 14 million US, uh, New Zealand dollars. New Zealand dollars. Um, uh, to existing shareholders and then opened and crashed the site um, like the to, to raise. Yeah. And they raised $1.8 million in about half an hour. Um, it was after, crazy. Yeah, um, after having given it to the existing shareholders, so huge, inve- you know, huge vote of confidence from existing shareholders. Brewdog's been now open for almost two days. They've raised eighty three thousand three hundred dollars um, from one hundred and eight investors. So, and the minimum target's three hundred thousand. So they just get to that. They've still got fifty five days. Is that Australian dollar or is that Scottish poons? No, that's Australian <laughs> dollars. Um, okay, but again, like it's a huge range. Three hundred thousand um, dollars to ten million. To ten million. Like they'd ideally like ten million, but they'll take three hundred thousand. Uh, but we've talked about that strategy before, mm. where you know, like you set your your, your target yeah, yeah. and you get an idea of how much you're going to get, and so that way, well, we smashed it mm. and and build mm-hmm. that hype, so people then have the fear of missing out, and it sort of gives you a wet sail um, t- towards the second uh, target. Um, this one's going a little bit. You know, more slowly. So I don't know whether it's uh, overvalued. And chartering karma waters, yeah. perhaps. Yes, yes, anyway. perhaps it's right before Christmas as well. That's the thing. Yes. I mean, yeah, people, that's yeah, that's people might not really want to throw a load of money at it. You want to keep moving, don't you? Pete? Sorry, sorry. Speaking Pete. of dividends <laughs> to uh, investors, Asahi sells booze bud back to its founders. So Asahi Beverages, which is the owner of CUB this week, has sold its leading online alcohol retailer booze bud back to the business's founders. Uh, they made the decision to sell booze bud following. The, a review of CUB's e-commerce participation strategy, which was developed before Asahi Beverages purchased CUB. So this is sort of saying we don't really want to play in that online space. We want to leave that to our uh, no, customers. I su- direction? No, I suspect um, they'll still be in online, um, you know, because they, they have been selling on some of the online portals uh, like eBay, I think you can buy CB beer on eBay, and mm-hmm. they are doing. It just Amazon. may not be ones Amazon. It may just not be ones that they own. 
Um, and this was very much a strategy that, you know, that when it was AB InBev and their ZX Ventures, because um, you remember ZX invested heavily or bought um, uh, Rate Beer and some of these, and there was speculation at the time or you know, more inf- informed opinions than mine um, seemed to indicate that they thought that it was about the market information that you get directly from people engaging with your site. So it, you know, just business intelligence as much as an um, you know, online strategy. Um, but yeah, so it, it just seems to be a, a, a change of immediate direction. You'd ho- hopefully, the guys behind it have had a bit of a win. Well, you'd hope, yeah, you'd hope they um, didn't have to pay as as much for it the second time. It's it's a bit of a um, Kerry Packer buying back Channel Nine from Alan Bond. You only get one Alan Bond in your life. <laughs> you only get one AB and Bev in your lifetime. Um, the, the, mind you, the, the one little bit of snark. Like normally, you don't share snark, but I thought this one was quite funny because it was very relevant before the takeover. Um, somebody weighed in and sort of said, oh, it looks like we're back to scraping the date codes off the bottom of cans now. <laughs> so, oh, my God, is that what they used to do? There, a number, there were, that was a bit of a scandal you know, in the early days of uh, online trading. It's probably, given how busy online trading has been now, you probably mm. see fresher beer. Um, yeah, the likelihood of the turnover. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But apparently they were, they were a little bit notorious for, yeah, sort of... Um, it's a very well-known oh. um, discount wine. Uh, we, you know, if you buy, you know, three cases of... Uh, clean skin wine, you can get a case of Heineken, for example, for thirty dollars. And I think, uh, along with wine and beer, the um, the next most used consumable at that business was uh, black marker, <laughs> because the uh, yeah the barcodes and the dates tended to be <laughs> obscured, <laughs> re- redacted. There were a number of beer importers that used to sort of stick, um, just happen to stick their you know imported by stickers over the, um, over the yeah, oh, yeah. so there, there are a number of tricks. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, so it's not. Ooh, it's, I it's, don't think you'd get away with it as easily now as well. I, don't, I, I think people well, like to take look, a good picky of it. To, to podcasts like this very one that we're what we are talking on right now because I think people are far more aware now of, of date codes how to read them where yep. to look for them and uh, I guess a better appreciation of um, you know that in most cases fresh is best mm-hmm. and my, which is exactly why we split beer as a conversation from Brews News Week because some things need to be fresh and some things stay evergreen with age. <laughs> Are you suggesting that our beer is a conversation, a a bottled condition, and actually get better? (laughs) Well, well, I'm just setting that up for us missing a a, a podcast this week. Fair enough. Uh, I thought that was a nice little seamless segue. That's beautiful. It was. Uh, Yeah, speaking of less, uh, the study shows that uh, there was a decrease in lockdown beer drinking. The latest report from researchers, researchers at Monash University using data from the ATO has shown a net decrease in alcohol consumption during COVID-19 lockdown. Despite the closure of licensed venues during the pandemic in March, alcohol sales data from the ATO revealed no significant change in off-premise beer purchases. We felt research using accurate alcohol sales data from the ATO was important because there were conflicting findings in alcohol consumption trends from surveys that relied on self-reporting by drinkers. It was not clear what was happening with the overall level of alcohol consumption in Australia, explained Dr. Brian Vandenberg, the lead researcher on the project. He also went on to say, we aim to fill that gap in the research, focusing on the trends in beer sales and focusing on actual data rather than... Funnily enough, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I tried to be fair about this one as well because obviously the organisation that shall not be named... Ends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were mentioned in it, but so was a study from um, the University of New South Wales and they found much more similar results to this, but that was also self-reported. So I wanted to put the two sides of it and say the reason why they wanted to do this was because it, these self-reported polls were so mixed. Um, and I think it was an important one because everyone's been talking about drinking during lockdown and, oh, isn't it terrible? Everyone's raging and, you know, they're all getting pissed at home and stuff like that. And actually, it turns out that it is not quite the case. Well, what a surprise. All the pubs are closed. I'm drinking more at home. Oh, my goodness. They're well, drinking but, but, more at home. Yeah, but they yeah. weren't. Does, but that's yeah. the thing. The, the, the amount of consumption. The amount. Yeah, exactly. No, that's right. And, you know, look, the... the the reason we picked up on this story wasn't mm. just to sort of celebrate, hey, we were right, it's not that bad. Um, it was quite nice. The reason that this um, media release stuck out to me, because I, I read it and I thought, oh, this is really interesting, who's this guy? And so I researched, mm. the, you know, the, as we often do with uh, when we see these research pieces, who is this person, what is their track record? And this researcher has written for Drink Tank, which is FAIR's supposedly independent, um, you know, drinks... Mm 
uh, news website. Yeah. He's he's done a lot of research that Fair has quoted. But for some reason, this media release came through a generic media release channel that no other data, Fair data, has been picked up on. Needless to say, Fair didn't pick up this valuable piece of research. You know, nobody picked it up and celebrated it on social media because it doesn't fit their narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a it was a story that had gone out of media release that just no one picked up, even though he is somebody who has, in the past, written, um, you know research that fair has agreed with um this one doesn't fit the narrative they don't share it um and also particularly since it torpedoes a lot of the self-reported he expresses doubt about exactly the self-reported data that fair has been using um and you know like this morning i heard um an alcohol researcher who's you know researches for fair she has just spent Whoever knows how much of her grant from whatever source, most likely, th- well, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that, um, <laughs> I guess fair, um, looking at beer industry submissions to government and tearing them apart um, for what's distorting... What's the use of that? Well, no, is that where, what's educational about that? But, but, I mean, that inherently shows a bias when you go targeting submissions made by the, by the alcohol industry to government going looking for all of the times that they have dissembled or, you know, misrepresented research when almost every study that we look at that comes out of FAIR or that FAIR shares is their own research that quotes its own research. And would never stand up to any rigorous academic... Well, we we don't know that because... (laughs) because no... They would never submit it to a journal or anything like that. Like, they would never, ever do that. Oh, no, some of them have been in journals, but they tend to be alcohol research journals. Yeah, and they're more like the Cancer Council of Victoria-type people and they're from academics rather than from FAIR. (laughs) FAIR have probably paid for them. Well, again, this is stuff we don't know. It's certainly Mm. worthy of um, looking into, but... You know, it, 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 it does seem to be research that supports a hypothesis um, and they then go looking for, you know, you, you don't see much integrity in their own self-analysis and they hold up, you know, the least um, robust form of survey data to prove their case. They have an actual data that goes looking at hard data and they dismiss it. But, you know, then they go out of their way to try and target... Um, you know, alcohol industry. That, that ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that they really are trying to paint the alcohol industry as a tobacco industry of the 1950s. And it's like a, a black hole that's set to disappear up its own ass because they, the very thing that they want to do is the very thing that they can't do, which is to make themselves redundant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll become obsolete if they achieve all their goals, and therefore that's oh, it. But they, they, they'll never do that. Yeah, no, like, no, that's no. the they'll, thing. They'll keep fueling it somehow. That's the thing. Funnily enough, they (laughs) did share um, in in the last week a study that showed that people under 25 are drinking at record low levels. Um, And you go, well... Sorry, are you uh, taking credit for that? No, well, no. No, no, no. But doesn't that show that we are, that that it's working? Mm -hmm. You know, doesn't it show that the education and that the, the, the most important thing isn't banning, which, as we've seen with prohibition in the US, doesn't work, but genuine education and genuine you know um cultural change um and you know again like the 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 speaking to people um you know that uh drink wise campaign um you know again it's 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 an anecdote it's not research but i still think that that uh uh you know your children watching you drinking is one of the most powerful campaigns that we've seen corporate tax (laughs) paid by major brewers has been unveiled by the ATO. Uh, In the latest corporate tax disclosures from the Australian Tax Office, it was revealed that neither of Australia's two major brewers paid any corporate tax last year. According to the disclosures, one of uh, of the four brewing-related businesses listed, neither Lion nor CUB, um, and and CUB's then-parent company, AB InBev, paid tax in the 2018-2019 period. Uh, Claire, give us the details. So, yeah, so um, it's ABI Australia Holdings that trades as AB InBev, and they reported as having total revenues of $4.4 of which $320.4 was taxable but paid no corporate tax. Um, that's the six, so, so, so that's just uh, ABI hold uh, Australia Holdings. So yes. that's a separate company, well, and, that's, and, and, that's and that reflects like just what is bought and sold, and and uh, revenue and yeah, and it has and all like the in CUBs Australia. and stuff like that under it. Yeah. 
So yeah. it's like the the parent company, and then all the other ones are underneath is like, uh, and that, and then that's the parent one. But so presumably, is ABI Holdings, uh, ABI Australia Holdings, mm-hmm. is that a an Australian registered? Yes. Company? Yes. So you. Oh, so they haven't not paid tax because it's it's registered in the Bahamas or New Zealand. Or well, we don't know. <laughs> oh, we that, don't that, know that's that. the thing because <laughs> the, as an overseas owned entity, they don't report fully in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, and if you don't make a profit, then you don't pay any tax. But. But if you make three hundred and twenty point four million dollars, I'm sorry, no, that was the taxable income, income, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And this but is where it gets really tricky. Tax and, credits yeah. to, to to write off because, mm-hmm. yep. um, like you know, if you have a business loss this year, um, say you lose, um, a, you know, a million dollars this year, next year if you make a million dollars, the loss can be re- offset against the tax you would have paid the following year. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, we saw it. Lion um, explained it that you know they had a five hundred million dollar write down um, of their dairy business, um, mm-hmm. and so that counts constituted a loss. You know, that factored into their loss, so they applied that against tax already paid. You know, or whatever. But you you, you don't have the ability to actually see what their um, tax arrangements are the way you do with, for example, Coopers. Because those are the only three numbers you get. You only get revenue, taxable income, and tax paid. You don't get anything else about any of the other companies in it or any other, like, anything to do with, it, like, their revenues, their EBITDA, anything like that. You have to go and buy that. And even then, they can move money around to other companies within the group in the wider world. And therefore, it's like a crazy paper trail that you need to have, like, 10 degrees in accounting to understand and then be able to subpoena accounts from the Cayman Islands or whatever to understand how that and we did look at in there. The, the way when AB InBev tried to list on the stock exchange, we mm-hmm. looked at that, didn't we? Um, and they've got, you know, businesses... Com- you know, shelf companies in tax Everywhere. havens. Yeah, and yeah. Like the Caribbean like and stuff like that. So, and, and, and and look, not, to not be fair, that. we should point out that not one single person listening or talking on this podcast um, is coming forward to pay every single cent or, or more of tax than oh, what God, they no, are. No, no. Everyone's <laughs> always looking to uh, to minimise you know, your, your tax. But we should also point out that this is the sixth consecutive year that AB InBev has, um, and not that's paid only any because tax. Th- that's only because the A two has only done this report for the past six years, so we don't actually know. So anything we, before and we that. don't actually know, and we also yeah. we don't but know what the root loss. But well, we don't know what the root loss was that they're carrying forward. Mm. For example, you know, like when they overpaid for Southcorp, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that they overpaid for Southcorp. Um, was that? That Treasury was the wine ones. business, yeah. Or yeah, and then when they sold it off, so yeah, um, you know, and, and that was you know the thing that crippled the beer business because all of their attention was on wine, and it, you know, I, I can't remember the dollar, but it was like sh- billions of dollars that were lost um, in value for the for what they paid at the top of the market, and then you know losses and losses and losses, and you know you'd imagine that they're carrying those forward. I mean, my question is, you know, and, and this is not a beer story, like this is just a general tax and business story, and I don't want to sound like Bernie Sanders, but. Um, you know, I, I wonder whether during the time that they've had the the, the businesses that the, the people who made the decisions that caused this loss that means that now a very profitable business isn't paying tax mm-hmm. got rewarded, you know, financially um, through bonuses mm. for their bad decisions. Um, and yeah, that's exactly. And this is what. And I tried to be straight down the line. I didn't quite manage it, but nearly. And it that's just the bit that winds me up. You're you effed up, and you. Because you did that 15 years ago or a couple of years ago, you might not have to pay tax now forever. And, and also, if you don't have to report in Australia, um, you know, fully in Australia, like Coopers, you can see right through their report. And, mm. you know, and they paid it's 29% probably, tax. They that's paid, you know, so if they make a $30 million profit, they pay $10 million. Yeah, and it. it's just a very like it's the sort of thing you don't need to be a, an accountant to work out. Yeah, because yeah. It's just, Thank you, Coopers, for that. I well, appreciate they're, they're, you. Yeah, 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 <laughs> we God, don't have to worry about it then. You know, breaking out the slide rule and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the it, reckoner. And it's yeah. you know to, to me you know there is a you know an Australian located Australian owned um, business. Um, their business affairs are much more um, transparent than an overseas-owned business that is making huge profits, but you're not quite sure how these losses are being apportioned. Um, and that's, you know, 
the, the transparency of it. You know, as Clay said, we tried to play this very much down the line. It's just, you know, mm. um, we don't know why they're not paying tax because that data's not available. Yeah, All we, we know can't is that say they're definitively, and, yeah. And again, just for the slow kids up the back, sitting up the back of the lecture theatre with Well, that's me, me by the way. Got it going. <laughs> duh, 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 duh. Hey. Um, <laughs> do they, they excise is still paid, isn't it? Yes. Like that, mm. that's yes. not discounted at all. As so much as they're trying to, yeah. excise is separate <laughs> not from. Them. And I'm not, I'm not trying to big them up. I'm not trying to. Don't get me no, started no, no, no. on whether no, but don't get me started on that whole debate. <laughs> um, is it them paying the excise, or do or they the just merely collect it? Because yeah, yeah. we pay the excise and they just collect it on our behalf. Yeah, that's it. No, but I'm just conscious of um, uh, you know listeners out there going, okay, well, there's another reason to not uh, you know purchase from a certain brand or a certain brewery or whatever it might be uh, because you know it, okay, I, I, because yeah, I, at the end of the day it, you know drink the beer that you like but yeah sure we'd, we'd like to give you a bit of information about all the different breweries and, and how they operate yeah and, and absolutely like and a lot of our listeners uh, to the podcast work for the big houses and they do pay tax in australia and so you know these and employ a lot of people they in australia employ and, and pay tax. Mate, the, the other thing that i'll say on their behalf is that you know, they almost exclusively buy their grains from Australia, you know. So, um, you know, a, a lot of craft brewers who sort of import grains and hops and things like that, particularly now when China isn't buying our, uh, our barley, um, you know, I, I would imagine that's a huge thing that has a flow-on effect. And, you know, th- these things are much more complex than we're able to get in a 500-word story or even a, what are we going at? We're going about three hours for this podcast now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, but it, it, it's just That's reporting. It. Um, and the one I'll be interested to see next year is Asahi, because obviously that period in the ATO's disclosures covered the pre, pre-acquisition pre bit. So ABI will be probably in there, but mm, maybe most of it will be under Asahi by that point. It yeah. just depends and, and where Lions they also the do, Lions and figures come out in February or something, are they? Because Kieran, being the parent company, the Japanese financial year is yeah they i think they finish in december and then publish in february march i think we'd have to double check it says it in the article somewhere um so yeah so i'll be interested to see what um asahi comes up with next year in terms of these disclosures um because they did pay tax this year so they paid seven million and cooper's paid six million yeah. Not that it's a competition, but well done. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, actually, well done, just, just to loop back on on yeah. business valuations, uh, you know, mm. Asahi bought CUB for what sixteen billion dollars yep. on revenues of three point three billion. So that's a multiple of what almost of, of five. Yes. If my math is correct, so gives you an idea of one hundred million dollars um, for revenue of five point five million for Brewdog. Again. Hey, listen, uh, now we want to spend a little bit of time because we do have uh, quite a few letters, including handwritten letters, uh, Matt, that we want to mm-hmm. go through. Um, but just quickly, great to see the story that was published yesterday uh, about um, Matilda Bay, who have been busy during the uh, the lockdown period creating their lockdown brews, which have just been released. Mm-hmm. Um, so the label that started the Aussie craft revolution more than 35 years ago with the father of craft brewing, Phil Sexton at the helm, has launched its first new beer under the Matilda Bay label, original ale. Uh, Phil and the team have also revamped and modernised the Matilda Bay classics like Redback Alpha Pale Ale and Dog Bolter. Um, I, I like the way that the the labels were were new and fresh, but still had a bit of a tip of the hat to the the original, dare I say, the heritage brands that were <laughs> yeah, Not as heritage as uh, Foster's. Oh, oh sorry. I better just get clarification on that from uh, Matt Kierkegaard, Australia's <laughs> foremost Foster's, Foster's analyst. Heritage expert. I <laughs> know, uh, but it was it was good to see. Um, and this will be an interesting one to watch because it's it's somebody with a genuine connection to the brand, um, you know, in that he created it, and but it's still got the imprimatur of the, the big house. So it's kind of it's not neither one nor the other. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I made it. It was just one of those stories, you know. Again, just a little bit of sort of inside the thinking of Bruce News. It was a story that comes in, and it was immediately. And you know, we always sort of think, well, what is the news value of this um, story? Do we put it out as news because we don't want to waste people's time when they open the newsletter? Um, and we, you know, we felt even though it was immediately, it was news because it's quite interesting that. Um, 
these classic brands have been brought back. But then also they talked about how they've been given a, a modern tweak. So not having tried the beers, there wasn't much we could say. Um, but very, very keen uh, with Borders Open next year to go down and check them out because, you know, I'd, honest, I can honestly say that I was very excited to see, you know, if, if there were three beers you wanted to see come back, Dog Bolter, Alpha and uh, Redback would be three that would be at the top of my list. Oh, I'm excited yeah, and, now. I've never had a go at any of them. So maybe we should uh, message Phil and get some sent this way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'd like to have a gander, yeah. It was, it was around this time last year that um, the, the Hillsville uh, Brewery reopened. Uh, I think it might have been just before New Year. Mm. And Matt and I were planning um, – that was going to come down. And then, of course, the bushfires sort mm. of put a bit of the kibosh on that. We put that back and then uh, the whole COVID thing happened. But um, it'd be good now that it's all sort of up and running to have you guys down and we'll um, – because it's a it's an hour's drive, a beautiful drive from from my place here. So I'll take you out there and we'll, um, we can suss it all out. That sounds delightful. Pop into uh, What's River Brewing while we're down there. Mm. Sounds like a plan. There you go. And uh, maybe a sneaky gin tasting with Stu Gregor and, uh, and Cam oh, McGuinness. Um, are they down there? For, is it Four Pillars? Yes, well, it's staggering distance, walking distance, oh, sensible walking distance. Um, <laughs> but well done, Phil. Well done on the, as I say, uh, the new labels. I thought looked terrific. They didn't look like shrink labels to me. I wasn't sure what they were. But Ooh. if Phil was looking to perhaps uh, go with something that's you know economical, efficient, um, and I know I can hear Phil saying, but you know I've got no room to put a, a sleeve shrinking machine. You know what? What am I going to do, Pete? And I said, well, Phil. If you call Rowling's labels stickers and packaging, they're not able to just supply labels for your cans or bottles, but they can also supply printed blank cartons. They can supply can trays, tap decals, barcodes, and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. Um, the cans come to your door, they're palletized, ready to fill. Nothing more to do. I think they even deliver to Hillsville. Give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. That's Rowling's labels, stickers, and packaging. And now it's time for the mailbag. Uh, now, all letter writers will receive a Dead Blue Bakes cookie if we've got some left, and they will go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack. Thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel who sponsor our letter of the week. And, of course, season's greetings. With Christmas coming, um, that's the time to eat your, your gingerbreads, isn't it? That is. Not that anyone would have yeah. saved them up. They well would have had them immediately. No, but they might all start quickly sending in letters for our last one next oh, week. Oh, I see. Right, yeah, fair one. play. Thanks very much to our, um, our good friends at Beer Cartel who sponsor our uh, Letter of the Week. Now, um, oh, now, the other thing we ask you to do every week, because really, we don't ask much, all right? Um, review us on iTunes, um, you know, ring the bell and hit the notification button and subscribe and all that sort of stuff, which helps us. And it helps other people find the, the show um, in what is becoming an increasingly busy um, podcast landscape out there. Uh, now, letters, uh, comments, all that sort of stuff, smoke signals, whatever you want to do, um, send them in to be in the draw for the letter of the week. And you can also join our Facebook group. That's where you can leave some comments. Just search Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. Um, Matt, do you want to start with yours or do you want to finish with Mate, yours? No, 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 I'll, I'll start with mine. So, yeah, so we had our um, thank you to Ryan uh, for organising the, the, the drinks last week at... Uh, easy uh, Times. Easy Times, which isn't yet brewing. Um uh, but we, we did get a, uh, a, a brewery that would have made tour. made the tour of the brewery a bit quicker. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough. Here's where the mash tun's going to be. The, the mez level, <laughs> as they call it, the mezzanine level. You, you walk through the brewery and go up to this mezzanine level that has a lovely view outlook over to the Gabba, um, and then, but also down to the to the brewery. And uh, when we were getting the um, when Curran turned up to give us the brewery tour, I'm sort of going. My, don't tell me we actually have to get up. We can see everything from here. Just point it out. And, but now we sort of went down and uh, stood in the brewery that's not uh, yet working. But uh, it, it, it's now I was going to ask Curran because it's a not a common name. Is it the same Curran who was a brewer at Black Hops? Yes, it is. It is yes, yeah. it is indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he's been with them since uh, September. So he's doing their recipes and everything for them now. Oh, well done. Mm. Good on him. Moved up from uh, the the Goldie, um, and uh, yeah, so. Maybe even this week they were hoping to get the uh, kettle boiling. 
and making some beer. So we'll see. spot on. But anyway, so great. Um, thank you to Ryan. Thank you to everyone that turned up. Ended up getting you know, uh, Russell Steele, who uh, is a part owner of uh, Easy Times, just happened to be there and joined us. And we had uh, <laughs> Brisbane's beer tragic. Russell just happened to be there because it was a beer on offer. <laughs> well, it's, it's his beer. <laughs> that so make it sound like he just happened to be there. Presumably, he's got a. Uh, well, he wasn't. I wasn't expecting him to be. But anyway, so lo- lovely, lovely to um, catch up. It was nice to see James Davidson, um, who uh, with his wife Jen was in town um, you know, just really really nice uh, couple of hours but then also um, uh, a listener by the name of Anna Battersby sort of raced in gave me and just gave me this little Christmas bag um, and just said oh, this, this is for you um, yeah, Merry Christmas I can't stay um, so I got to say hi and, and go but then when I got home and opened it it was a can of Lord Howe Island Brewing Co Doubleheader IPA um, and the note said Dear Bruce News Team My husband and I recently visited Lord Howe Island. Not only were we excited to experience the island's natural beauty and incredible biodiversity, but also try some of their, inverted commas, local beer from the Lord Howe Island Brewing Co. After chatting to some of the locals and studying the can, we realised that this beer is actually brewed in Sydney. Although I'm not sure how from studying the can, because the can that she gave me said brewed for LHI Brewing Uh, Co. Marine Adventures... Oh, sorry, brewed for LHI, mm-hmm. Marine Adventures, uh, Boat Shed, um, Lagoon Road, Lord Howe Island, New South Wales. Mm-hmm. So nowhere on the can does it say that it's not. It says product of Australia, um, range of other things. Nowhere does it say not brewed on the island. Um, we were immediately reminded of the Byron Bay Brewing Saga, so thought we'd bring back a can to share with you. <laughs> so long-time uh, listeners um, or long-time readers. Um, the beer is not bad at all, by the way. Um, feeling a bit deflated and misled, we started chatting to a local barman who indicated that a brewery was soon to be opening on the island with the assistance of Chuck Hahn. We did ask him if this was a line venture, but he seemed to think that Chuck was just being engaged as a cons- in a consulting capacity. Upon returning from our trip on the tw- on the fourth of December, I was pleasantly surprised. So they bought this for me before they'd even heard the podcast. Ah, because um, of the Byron Bay Brewery. Yeah, thing. yeah. oh, that's lovely. Um, I was pleasantly surprised Ooh. to hear the line interview and find out more about what was happening with the brewery. Needless to say, we were definitely planning a return trip and would recommend anyone wanting to experience a stunning, relaxing destination with amazing hikes, snorkeling, wildlife to put Lord Howe Island on their bucket list. Cheers, Anna Battersby. So, firstly, thank you. That was all handwritten and a lovely uh, letterhead. Oh, an actual, so cards a and letters, je- an actual letter. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it actually was a lovely letter. Hand-delivered, handwritten, um, but then also very germane to a topic that, that we discussed. And, you know, it was interesting um, that she did feel a little bit misled because the can that she gave me, as I said... V- has absolutely no indication um, at all that it's not brewed on the island. And we were tagged this week. Last week we were tagged by the brewery talking about how independent they were and that their beer was made at an independent brewery. Um, but nowhere on their... Uh, I don't know that we ever said they weren't independent. Is it just the confusion with Lion? No, well, that but, but that was about? the thing. They were really amplifying the fact that they're independent. Mm. Um, but They mentioned it four times. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they did. But, you know... As we know, people care as much about provenance as about independence. Um, and, you know, so it was interesting that unsolicited because that um, they felt misled um, about the story for the beer. But the other thing that she picked up was um, we did you know, ask about the line venture and it seemed to think that Chuck was just being engaged in a consulting capacity. Now, interestingly, after we put the podcast up last week and recorded our chat, we did get some clarification from Lion that... The brewery venture is owned by um, Lord Howe Island locals um, who own the, the, the nursery over there. They do um, own the brand and the, the, the brewery um, and also the trademarks, as, as I've uh, checked on IP Australia. So it, it, there was obviously some assumption on my part when I did the chat that when they said that it was like Kosciuszko, which line owns the... Um, trademarks for, but it's quite clearly different that um, for whatever reason, Lion is helping, um, you know, you, you wouldn't say it's from the goodness of their heart because, you know, otherwise, Lion, could you build me a brewery? <laughs> um, you know, Beer Mats um, would, has a nice ring to it. Um, but so was that you laughing in the background, Pete? <laughs> oh, sorry. He sounds like Motley. I was, I was just thinking about a joke I heard last week. No, um, no I, was, <laughs> I was just trying to picture some of the... Um, 
some of the brews that we come out of Matt's Row. Oh, I might leave those for next week. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There would absolutely be things that should happen in but anyway, 2021. Um, yeah, but you know, and, and then like if if it resonates, Lion can license the brand and take it nationally. Um, I'm all for that. And but you could just sit in the background. That's apparently the story. The so anyway, okay. look, yeah, you know, that's right. And then you could do a crowdfunding. <laughs> this is one of those stories that I just find, you know, in terms of emotional investment, um, I just get frustrated because on one hand you've got people sort of saying, well, we're independent, not like those bastard big brewers. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, it sounds like they're not actually, it's actually owned by people on the island. But then, well, independence, yeah, but shouldn't you at least tell people you don't brew on the island because mm-hmm. everything about your brand is screaming Lord Howe Island Brewing, and mm-hmm. you keep posting photos of yourselves drink you know, of the beer being drunk on Lord Howe Island, um, and yeah, you know, mm. uh, not the other, not the only letter we see we received regarding that topic, Claire mm. Ray Don Fitzsteff on the Brews News page. Um, he. He, I assume, also said, Lion Kieran have no idea what they're doing. They just closed West End in Adelaide for the exact opposite reason of a brewery on Lord Howe. It will not matter what and where you build. We all know who you are. Ooh, that sounds a bit, it's a bit dark. Huh? We know where you live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what does that mean? They closed the West End in Adelaide for the exact opposite reason. Well, because it was a local brewery, but it wasn't. Oh, um, I see what you mean. It wasn't feasible right. to it, it, people just aren't drinking enough west end certainly not outside of no. um adelaide uh, and you can easily just you know th- throw it into the roster and brew it out of um yeah, malt shovel or camperdown or but, um, and you uh, know that was the thing was speaking to um james that's what they're doing you know if they they build a lot of small breweries and if something grows out of it they'll move it to the big house um and you know if people care about it um, but you know, again, you can't have somebody um, on one hand complain. We know, you know, you're not brewing in Adelaide anymore, um, and we care about where it's brewed. And then man the, you know, barricades to defend Lord Howe Island. That mm. you know, um, yeah, there's a lot of mental gymnastics going on to justify these positions. Well, it's I'm actually like I'm, I'm actually really interested because when I you, you go back and look at all of the. Um, the uh, ACCC decision and there was also um, it's not a beer case but it was a Maggie beer case when Maggie got in uh, Maggie beer business um, I think her daughter Saskia they got in trouble for some of the Maggie beer range of spreads it was talking about the it was um, the ice cream, I think, wasn't it? Uh, it was three products or and the it Quince. was Ross of Valley so said, you know, made in the it was tradition probably verjuice yeah, well, but, and it, but it talked about Barossa Valley on the, on the label. It said Maggie Beer and didn't say anywhere um, where these products were, were brewed. And, you know, so the, the ACCC gave very clear guidance around, um, you know, well, sorry, they, they gave guidance around. It's never very, very clear with these things, but it's a total perception that's created by a label. Um, and, you know, like a, I was looking at... Um, as I, as I do in a bottle shop, and I saw like Endeavour. Um, and I thought, oh, gee, I wonder what they put on theirs, because they do have a brewery, but I'm pretty sure they don't can at it. Um, and, you know, they had the Argyle Street Sydney address for their can. Um, and you sort of think, well, you know, yes, you've got a little brewery there, but is that what's meant to be on, on the can? You know, if, if someone's been there, or are you meant to be a little bit more transparent? And if uh, I, I need to go out today and get a bottle of um, Byron Bay uh, lager to see what Lion's now putting on it, but they did change. I think they were the first brewery to change all of their um, branding to sort of say brewed by or under license for Lion, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So very, very um, clearly, not necessarily a brewery because they do move it around breweries, um, but there was a very clear statement of ownership. You know, when, when you look at the IBA guidelines, the guide, well, on my reading of the guidelines, it does seem to suggest that the production facility address should be on the can, um, and yet that doesn't seem to be strictly adhered to by brewers that are also putting the independent um, label on the can. So, look, you know, it's just, mate, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but... It's fraught. Well, if you're going to sort of argue ownership matters, um, then other things matter to consumers as well. And, you know, exactly. But yeah, providence over independence, I would have thought. 
Oh, you'd actually put Providence over Independence, oh, would that's you? That's interesting. I'm surprised at that, P. Mm. I, I just um. felt like saying something. Conversation. Just, <laughs> just, really know just what being to say. controversial. Well, mate, boy, didn't you say <laughs> something? But anyway, uh, Josh Oil in the Facebook group um, uh, regarding the retro brands, Claire. Yeah, so he um, has noticed that we've been mentioning retro brands like E Foster's. Matt, Melbourne, Bitter, VB, etc. Um, he said <laughs> he was reading about Vedette Extra, Blo- Extra Blonde, a brand some might recognise from their trips to Belgium and France, a lager for Duval Mortgat. God, I'm not good at this. Um, more <laughs> precisely, it was a Pilsner launched in 1945. Quickly fell out of favour, um, distri- stuffed away, distribute to local bars, um, until in 2003 it basically came back Um as part of like counterculture marketing and stuff like that, um, and now they've got a bunch of things that have grown from that brand extensions. Yeah, brand exactly, Pete. Brand extensions. Um, so the brand plays well in the market and adds to its range, says Josh. Whenever a new trend is highlighted, so like, <laughs> yeah, every time there's a new trend, they come up with a new beer, effectively, just branded like that. Um, so looking at that as a potential case study um, of where relaunched and rejuvenated brands could go, like a VB. I, I want to drink this beer. <laughs> uh, listen listen to this England. one, guys. Go, Claire. <laughs> a VB New England IPA, a VB Christmas Cake Imperial Stout, or a Foster's Imperial Barrel Age Breaded Health. And you know what? I want to get that in a three pack. And the idea is that you blend the three of them so that you end up with a a VB, Vipa Christmas Cake Imperial Stout, Foster's Barrel Age Breaded L. A couple of brewers out there, I would have thought, would go for something like that. That could, uh, actually, when I think about it, that that is probably <laughs> there's a few out there. First already. beer that's going that's to come out of Matt's brewery. Oh, foul. <laughs> because you, you start sipping it and you go, "That's interesting." It starts off as just a very simple <laughs> lager, but then the further you get into it, it just branches off into all, all these, these other different, different <laughs> tastes and flavors. Oh, beautiful! Well, you know it. You're down a rabbit hole of um, Foster's Imperial Barrel Aged Breaded Hells. Mm, there you go. Um, and the next one. I don't know whether you want to take this one, Matt, because this is your story. Yeah, Matt's appearing. Matt's going to get um, two cookies and be in the running for a six-pack from our very good friends at Beer Cartel because he's created two of the main uh, mailbag articles. I know. Well done, Matt. Oh, no. Oh, no it was just, again, it was just something I shared I, last weekend. Uh, uh, this those... is a very good one, though, because it's mm. very pertinent to, to what we've discussed in the past, and I think it's something that a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, but... For those who didn't see the um, Facebook group post, uh, I was having beers with my cousin and I set the scene by saying he is somebody that is an all-grain home brewer, ab- you know, visited just about every brewery in southeast Queensland, mad keen beer nut, um, often has his son in tow, absolutely not, you know, doesn't shy away from beer. Um, and so his son is well aware of his dad putting beer in the fridge and all of those sorts of things. And I took a box of beers up uh, when I visited him and you know, as he was you know, taking them out to look at it, the first thing his son said was, oh, is that juice? Um, and I don't, I don't think he meant, is that juice in the way that a uh, hazy like lover would say, oh, mate, <laughs> that looks well like, juicy. yeah, that, that, I, you know, um, and I, I, I found it, um, given was his, this, was, was this, sorry, just to clarify, when, when you guys had poured it and were about to drink it? Or no, no, was I was this... just pulling the can out. Um, oh, right, okay. And, you know, and, and like, I, it, it, it rocked me a little bit because, you know, when, when, as beer people, we always discuss, you know, it's got beer on it, you know, it's got beer written across the bottom and, you know, it's not, this doesn't to be appeal to, to children, up, you have to be an idiot to mix yeah. it up. And this was, you know, if you're going to pick a kid that was going to mix it up or who would know that beer can look like that, this was the kid that I would have held up as a poster child for it. And the fact that he mistook it, um, you know, so like it was almost like I was being set up by somebody. And but mm-hmm. my cousin doesn't listen to the podcast; he doesn't know that there is a world where this discussion takes place. <laughs> so it was it was a real surprise um, that it happened. So um, and then you know there was a bit of discussion around it. Um, and um, Sarah Gall in the Facebook group sort of commenting on that sort of said, the move from bottles to cans for almost all craft breweries with fun labels has probably added to the confusion. Seven years ago, uh, beers came in bottles and a lot of non-alcoholic beverages come in single-serve brown glass bottles. Um, and that, you know, that's a key. Like brown glass was always an indicator um, of beer. Um, I wonder if ginger beer is in brown glass for that reason as well. 
Um, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, my well, three. Well, it's either green, uh, brown, or green. Bundy's Bundaberg ginger beer has always been brown, but then mm. there's others I can think of that have got the the, the green, which I guess is still I would consider a beer mm. bottle uh, color. But anyway, yeah, um, my three-year-old has probably never seen beer in a bottle and thinks everything in a can is a beer. Um, the only soft drinks we have in the home are mixers for gin, whiskey, so we associate them with adult drinks too. will be interesting what happens when he grows older. And, you know, that's, that, that, that's the point. And I guess um, I, I just sort of shared it because it really surprised me um, and there are no right or wrong answers. I guess, you know, my one thing I did think was, you know, if, if that happened to a member of parliament or, um, you know, somebody who is looking at this issue it's a pretty because it, 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 it was pretty persuasive to me that you know even if they're not marketing to children and they're not targeting children um the ABAC code says shouldn't appeal to children um and quite clearly on some level these things are appealing to children by design or inadvertently or whatever. Obviously, um, FAIR would say that um, children are being groomed um, by, by beer marketing, um, which is, you know... like Such a loaded terminology as but well, that is that is the But that, that is the dirty politics that they're willing to play with the issue, and it's something um, that, yeah, the, the, the industry needs to be aware of. And we've, we've discussed before, haven't we, that, you know, a small Rondel or a, a Chevron, you know, style label uh, on a brown bottle gives you far less real estate to work with in terms of your your beer name, your your art, um, your eye-catching ability than a can does. You know, you, you've got wraparound, you know, uh, like comic, you know, graphic novel panels. Mm. And, and so it is, it, it, that is naturally leading brewers to then go, let's really explore this, this space. Um, perhaps unaware that it then obscures the fact that it could be a beer. Who knows? And, and, and the thing that I struggle with is on one hand, like, um, in defence of the potential appeal that labelling can have, um, people always say, "Oh, it does, you know, it, it's, it doesn't influence anyone's decision making um, in, in in what they pick up." And you go, "Well, isn't that the whole reason that so much money is invested and so much excitement is created around labelling? Because that's exactly what the labelling is designed to do." Um, and everyone, everyone wants their brand to appeal to you. Everyone wants their brand to appeal, and like you, you, the label art, so much thought goes into it to make it something that people want to pick up off the shelves. And you can't just put a um, like a mental wall around that and so say, "Well, I'm only you know um, doing that to attract people who are older," because unfortunately, like the, the test isn't if a child is attracted to the artwork and opens a can. Are they? Do they like the product and are encouraged to keep drinking it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what like what's well, which the is logical what reasoning behind the whole "don't appeal to children" thing? Is that what they think that they'll get a taste for it if they try it? Like, I'm not a hundred percent sure about why the whole appeal to children thing is even in that. Well, no, good, good. well, that, that's exactly. Well, I, I don't think that is what what um, a lot of people who are defending labelling are saying. Well, mm. even if kids drink it, they're not going to like it. Mm. But beer is an acquired taste. No one likes their first beer, mm. but. The, 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 I, th- I think the appeal to children is so you don't make drinking cool and something oh, that's desirable. Oh, to like normalise it. Um, to to normalise it. And surely at, a, that's, at a young age, yeah. Yeah, and surely that's, if our young people aren't drinking as much, then where are these, this idea that if they see a nice can when they're a kid, that that'll change the habits that are, the trends that are happening now? Why do they think that a can label is going to change that trend? Yeah. And don't forget, if you're a brewer and you're listening, contact <laughs> Rellings, Label Stickers and Packaging. If you're interested, make your can stand out. And we do thank Rellings, Label Stickers and Packaging, along with our very good friends at Cryer Malt. Uh, now in their, into their 10th year, as of next year, Matt, it'll be their 10th year with us. Uh, touch wood, I'm, I'm just assuming that they're going to renew. Um, and, uh, and our very good friends at Cryer Malt to Rellings, Label Stickers and Packaging at a beer cartel. We send our thanks. And uh, to all of you, don't forget our dear listeners um, who make this all worthwhile and possible. Uh, next week will be our last show of the year and then we'll be on a bit of a break sunning ourselves because if we're going to come back on video with our first uh, with the uh, Gab's Hottest 100 one we better work on our tans guys mm-hmm. um, so we've got some stuff to do and enjoy you know family time and some good local independent um, beers with real provenance and fresh 
as well <laughs> is what we're going to be doing. So that's uh, that's our plan. But next week will be our last. Don't forget, uh, I'll put it in the in the show notes. But the best thing to come out of 2020, and the th- one thing you hope disappears uh, with 2020, and then beer wise. The best beer business pivot that you hope will continue and the least best beer trend of 2020. Do you want to post uh, those into the Facebook group as well, Pete? Just to... Yeah, I shall oh, do. good idea. I shall do. Because um, I, I just think that'll generate some uh, some good comments. And as I say, you can, if, you, uh, if you want, you can put it in into the Facebook group, uh, the Facebook page uh, comments in the, in the post, or you can save them and send them into us and we can read them out on the air next week. Uh, so, so it'll be Wednesday next week. We just haven't organised the location. Is that right? Oh, well, the actually, the, the location for us doesn't matter, so we can probably post it. Late um, afternoon again? Uh, it'll be 3 o'clock Brisbane time, 4 o'clock... Um, so you've still got you've got time to listen to us wrap it on and um, yeah, there's every chance we'll go for two hours. Present <laughs> and then get off and uh, go out for dinner or... Yep. Uh, so we've got three to five Brisbane time, four to six uh, daylight savings time, and then consult your local uh, clocks. Consult your local guides. For... Check the show notes for details. Yes. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, Pete. And thank you, Claire. Cheers, Pete. Enjoy your week. Don't forget, get your put your thinking caps on and come up with some, uh, some good stuff, and uh, we'll have a bit more fun uh, planned for next week with a few surprises and, you know, because, you know, the Christmas cracker that is Bruce News Week shall continue. Until then, I'm your host, Pete Mitchum. It has been a pleasure joining you for our 300th episode. And we'll see you all again for the next episode of Bruce News Week. Until then, drink fresh, drink local, look after each other. If there's an option, choose kind, wash your damn hands and look after each other. And we're out. (laughs) Okay, hang on. And again. Three, two, boom. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation.